It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th, 1998. Goldberg captured the goal. We look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome to Reliving the War. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by my co-host, my partner in crime, Simon Tackler. And it's fitting, Simon, that this time around for episode number two, first off, we've got to give a shout out to all of those that uh, liked, shared and retweeted our first episode, which is in our archives that you can find now on not only our podcast feed on the Ozcast Network, and we really have to be a part of you guys, but also the Grey Wolf Wrestling uh, website as well and their network. So we're really pleased to be part of two huge networks and uh, we're looking forward to delivering you guys some great retro content. But um, Simon, let's quickly talk about episode one because uh, it's amazing how that sort of, as it kickstarted the Monday Night Wars, it's also kickstarted some very good nostalgia for uh, wrestling fans. Yeah, that's right. So episode one last week was looking at King of the Ring 96. It all kicks off with Austin 316. And then jumping across to what the other side is doing, it almost feels like, yeah, you can't believe that these two massive events were only two weeks apart and together they are the two moments that everyone says changed wrestling forever. It's so strange. One thing I've noticed, we're going to be looking at Bash of the Beach 1996. uh, And as we record this in Australian time, this is when it happened July 7th, 1996, the hostile takeover, just in case it wasn't really shoved down your throats in the pay-per-view broadcast. But uh, it was very interesting because if we go back and looked at the WWF side at the time, you could, t- with the benefit of hindsight, you can see how ground-shaking it was. But I don't know, we covered it all in our last edition and we were blown away at how simpler those times were I guess compared to now with all the pomp and circumstance yeah it was a really interesting pay-per-view because when we look back at it we realized that yes it was pretty much stock standard WWF at the time to a point but at the same time while a lot of people don't think oh you know the attitude era started in 96 watching it back they were pushing the boundaries in certain areas and while yes the ultimate warrior really was one of the standout performers on that show who was definitely not a big factor in the Attitude Era, there was enough around that where it felt like, okay, if you were looking for it, the signs were there that things were changing. But it was definitely a really stripped-down show, even compared to what you see now on TV, even in the quarantine era. Mm. Now, once you, Simon, you said something pretty interesting there. If you look at the players, you look at the, the seeds of the era that were planted there. Now, we had a deep dive into it in the WWF side. We're going to do that now with the WCW side. We'll start off with the way the pay-per-view began. It was all about the hostile takeover. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who weren't named at all during um, the first few stages of the pay-per-view. They were always referred to as the invaders or the outsiders. This was a hostile takeover from those two guys. And to quote it, 
there has never been a night like this in the history of our sport. The big question was, who is the third man? And by the, by the time the paper you got towards uh, the, the tail end of it, the concern for where is Eric Bischoff <laughs> was something that really stood out for me. That's a good point. I didn't realise, you know, I've seen this pay-per-view a couple of times, but now we're looking at it, you know, thoroughly. We're trying to pick it all apart. They really did plant a lot of seeds, giving you hints that maybe Eric Bischoff was involved somehow. I never realized at the time, I never thought twice about it. Like, where's Eric Bischoff? Who cares where Eric Bischoff is? So when people say, oh, the Bischoff angle was rushed with him being part of the NWO, I feel like they at least had an idea that he would play a part even back here at the start of it. Because it was so strange. Every single, I don't think there was a match or a pre-tape segment uh, not pre-tape segment, sorry. One of the backstage segment, segments with me and Gene, where they didn't mention, if Eric Bischoff is watching at home, give us a call. We're worried about you. Where's Eric Bischoff? I haven't heard from him since Nitro on Monday, which is also funny because it lives in that wrestling world that things only happen either on on TV or pay-per-views. Like, yeah. once Monday night finishes, that's it. We don't see each other until next Monday or a pay-per-view happens. Yeah, he was powerbombed through the stage at the previous pay-per-view at the Great American Bash, and they only had every Monday to try and check in with him, and they hadn't heard anything. Um, On this opening video, though, if we're going to start comparing, because now we've seen the WWF show, it's time to compare. If we're going opening packages versus opening packages, it still blows my mind, you know, 20-something years later with the budget that WCW had with the access to TV people they had, you know, being part of the Turner Network, how terrible their packages were. Mm. That King of the Ring 96 one was amazing, classic, over-the-top dramatic style. This feels like some dude put it together in his basement. Like, the production values were garbage on this video. I actually wrote, uh, I actually wrote here, and it's written in my notes, Video package to hype the main event looks like a year 10 media assignment <laughs> mixed mixed with a Save by the Bell template. Yes, with all the like blurry, colourful writing. blurry, colourful writing and stuff like that. But that was just so crazy. What did you think of the crowd and um, the actual set compared to King of the Ring? King of the Ring, okay. you said, was very minimal. Uh, what did you think of Bash of the Beach? I like the set. I will just say one thing. I noticed it. Maybe you didn't. The theme song for the opening video, did you think it was a ripoff of a pop song from the 90s? No. If you listen to it again, it's Crazy by Seal. It's a knockoff. It's classic WCW knockoff music. And it's Crazy by Seal because obviously this is all crazy. And then I looked it up. Even its fake song name was like C-R-Z-Y or something like that. So, yeah, it was just, yeah. Um, See, because, and, because for me, that's always been the first Outsiders theme. Now, shout out to our friend Mikey, who's a big man in the wrestling theme community. This was always seen as like, man, that was a weird theme to use for the Outsiders. But like, when you when you thread all of that together, they thought about another, it. I did think a lot about that. That is actually that's actually oh, quite good. But, maybe it was a red herring. People thought Seal was the third man. Seal was the third man. <laughs> He was a big dude, uh, I think. I don't know. He, he, and he still is a big dude to this day. But um, yeah, he was. It was the Bobby Lashley of his time. But, uh, <laughs> but let's get straight into the matches on. Let's right. go with the, the opening salvo: Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio. As a sign of the times here, 
uh, there is a, it kicks off with a Demi Moore joke by Bobby the Brain Heenan. <laughs> yep. Saying that and... Rey Mysterio looks like Demi Moore in G.I. Jane. I took note of that too. And I just love how, like, even though you can, like wrestling is pretty timeless, you can go back and watch it whenever you want and it's still going to be good or have the same sort of the match quality and the motion will still be there. But it's little gems like that that really date it. And I, I just absolutely loved it. But um, what did you catch the retort to that? His slam for psychosis? No. When he, when he then said, oh, and this guy's got hair like Peggy Bundy. I was like, oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, hair jokes God. for everyone. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is absolutely amazing. But um, this... The minute this match started, I knew there was one thing that you would have hated from it, and that was the appearance of Mike Tanay doing commentary. Oh, I hate Mike Tanay. <laughs> <laughs> but but one thing that I did enjoy about it was the fact that it was actually uh, a, a barnstorm to start us off. It did start off very slow, mm. which I thought was quite strange because all of my memories uh, going back to WCW, when I think of Cruiserweights, is... They were high-flying. They were always just, you always remember the high-flying, but this match started off really slow. It's really weird because, yeah, you're right. I think the cruiserweight style wasn't what we remember. We remember just the big hurricane runners and big dives, but I think a lot of it is blurred from us living through the TNA X Division era where it was way faster and it was like the cruiserweight division on steroids. And then now we have, you know, the NXT and, you know, indie style where it's bang, bang, bang. But yeah, you're right. I, I was taken aback when this started too, how methodical it was. And then it went off the rails though and it was dives and everything else to the floor. A good it was match a, though. It was a really good match. There was things like, as you said, sentons out of the ring. Uh, and another nice little touch was having Mike Tanay there because he was sort of... And you forget that, putting it into context... Uh, 1996 Mike Tanay is there explaining to a 1996 audience that might not have seen this sort of stuff. And they're very like, you know, he explained like, yeah, that's the Centon thing. Oh, he's a top rope Hank Parker and Rana. Here's this and this and this. And, but everything was like, it was presented as so fresh and such a novelty. Like, yeah. oh, look, he's done the Centon. Now a Centon's a da 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 da. But um, th- there was something else that caught me off guard. And that was just how completely uninvested into the match the crowd was until Mm. the high flying and the flippy stuff happened. Yeah, the crowd was a lot quieter than you would expect for an opening match with two cruiserweight guys. And that's fair though, 96, we're taking it all the way back to this point where, you know, Rey Mysterio had only debuted a month prior at the Great Mm -hmm. American Bash. And even though he had a great match with Dean Malenko, the crowd's pretty quiet for that one until near the end. And I think just like us when we were kids, I remember watching matches like this with my brother. And I don't think we were fully into it in 96. It probably took a couple of years before before we thought, oh, yeah, let's watch this Cruiserweight match. Let's, you know, we know Rey Mysterio. We know Psychosis. We know Juventud Guerrera. But back here, 96, you've probably only seen these guys in passing and not paid attention. So to open a show with it, a lot of those people, you know, wherever they were, they weren't there for that. They were there for Hulk Hogan and Sting. You know? Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned that too, like, because I remember when I when we used to have, you know, the Nitro gatherings where you'd watch with your friends and things like that. Uh, the the vivid memories I get, it's like the 97, 98 era where stuff's yeah. fully kicking in. Whereas you're right, we're really in the infancy of the WCW Cruiserweight division and it hasn't really taken off 
to the extent that we knew that it would. But like I said, once it does ramp up, the crowd does fully get into it. Uh, a weird thing that I noticed was like the complete lack of replays from WCW here. WCW didn't do in-match replays often. They would save them until the end and then they'd yeah, run through three. Yeah. And it was so casual. So this was a trend you would have noticed on this pay-per-view and they continue it for years where they'll get to the replays and Tony Schiavone will be trying to throw Heenan off and he'll say, oh, you take this Heenan and he'll put him mm. on the spot and make him run through the, the replays. And sometimes he'll nail it and sometimes he wouldn't. But that was the fun of those guys not caring. I will say with the commentary, great team here because mm. you had Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan, who I think looking back, they've got great chemistry. They're very entertaining. Their third man is Dusty Rhodes. So you've got that wildness there. Give me Dusty any day over Zabisco. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Especially to when you think of uh, like a voice that's so authentically WCW, like we've we've seen now today uh, Jim Ross doing his commentary stints with not only New Japan, but now AEW, that yes, he truly is the voice of WWE. That's what he's WWE slash WWF. But he also was the voice of WCW, but you can picture him anywhere. Same deal with Tony Schiavone. We know that he's done commentary everywhere else but there are some guys uh like the two that spring to mind dusty Rhodes will always be linked to wcw during commentary and matches just in the same vein that jerry the king lawler is so unique to the wwf sound yeah i those guys never really did commentary for you know vice versa and Hmm. it wouldn't feel right thinking about it this had a real WCW vibe and I liked it. And you know what? I know I say I'm not the biggest uh, Mike Tanay fan. Mike Tanay fan. Yeah. I'll give him credit though, because one of the reasons why we know all these moves now, remember a little bit further down the line, he did those videos explaining the luchadors and their history yep. and what the masks mean and what the moves are. So that went a long way in changing wrestling as we see it. But here in its infancy, it's a great match, but it's not very exciting because of the crowd. Um, and I will say just one more thing, Rey Mysterio, this is all the way back in 96. He still wrestles now. You know, this was a great high flying match the month before it was against Malenko. Rey Mysterio was one of the best ever, but he's so consistent that I feel like he's not in the conversation as much as he should be. Yeah. And you go and say, um, consistency he wins with a top rope hurricane runner, like a proper top rope hurricane runner, like. It was so impressive to see. And um, and as you said, he's still doing it to this day, um, which he's definitely in that conversation, especially when you consider that he was also used as a poster, a poster boy for not only WCW, but uh, WWF and WW, uh, sorry, WWE to this day. Like, he's still a draw card. Yeah, one of the best but, um, ever. But uh, we'll, move, we'll move forward to the next segment, which is a little... Uh, inserts with uh, Conan talking to Mean Gene, and they made they made they, they stressed heavily too that Conan had wrestled the night before for AAA, which I thought was really cool because you never see that's one thing that WCW did so much better than WWF. WWF was such an insular bubble, mm. whereas WCW be like, oh, he was in Japan, he's done this, he's held an IWGP thing. They made they made it seem like so much bigger because it was like, you know, they're one of the best in the world and they've come here 
as opposed to WWF style of we're all that matters. Don't you worry about anything else. Why would you care what's happening anywhere else? Because it's all us. Yeah, he was a plumber and now he wrestles. That was the WWE <laughs> way. Like, okay, I guess he was. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I got to say, Conan pre-gangster promo always throws me off because in my memory of watching WCW, he only existed as K-Dog. You know, yeah. pre-NWO Conan is weird. Just like, great wrestler Conan, Mexican legend. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, I respect Ric Flair. It's very weird. Yeah, another part that re- that really threw me off a bit too was him going, like, I really respect Ric Flair. I mean, the guy's a 13-time world champion. And you're like, <laughs> hang on a sec, man. Your maths is, oh, that's right, it's 96. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of things that are weird. Um, at one point, they also reference, I think Flair does it in his promo, but they were really trying to push the fact that Conan was this great in-ring wrestler, which again, I don't remember him as one. Well. Yeah, it's always bowdy, bowdy, rowdy, rowdy. That's <laughs> exactly. all I remember with, with Conan. And his he rap was... video, which would play at the end of Nitro for some reason. That's right. They <laughs> mentioned yeah. that he's he's a man of a thousand holds. No one's ever said that about Conan. <laughs> I know. They, well, when they kept saying that, I was just like, was he? I don't <laughs> ever recall him until yet. I don't ever recall him, yeah. But that's what's fun. We watch this back from 96 and we see what they were trying to push at the time and then mm. before they changed plans. It's, yeah, very interesting. Did you find it interesting the uh, just how cheap the WCW locker room looked as well? Didn't look good. If <laughs> This was the 90s and it still looked like the 80s, you know? Yeah. Oh, it was just so strange. But yeah, we after that little uh, backstage interview, we moved on to match two. And you, how do you follow up Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio Jr.? Well, you follow it up with Big Bubba versus, with Jimmy Hart versus John Tenter. Not yep. Earthquake, not the Shark, John Tenter. In a silver dollar on a pole match. So it was a... A sock full of silver dollars, which I guess are giant coins in America, on Hmm. a pole between two guys who in some ways were, you know, a decade past their prime. Something about WCW, when they would take WWF guys, unless it was, you know, the NWO guys, they felt so low rent. And I was like, nah, as a kid, I hated. Anytime (laughs) these guys came on, I was like, oh, these guys, they're old, they suck. I can, you can underline that right now because all I could think of was whose idea was it to put this on pay-per-view? The sock with silver dollars looked ridiculous. And what, there was another thing too. I, uh, there's a bit I've got written down in my notes saying when Bossman got out the, like the, the, uh, the athletic, athletic tape or tape. whatever it was. Yeah. Why did he only tie one hand? Which is something that the commentators also brought up as well. Like, surely you'd think. And also, when he taped him, Tony Schiavone was like, oh no, and Tenta's sweating, which means his arm will be wet, which means it'll be harder to break. I've never known that as a fact about tape, that if it gets wet, you can't get it off. I don't think that's true. Here's the other thing. We talked about how... We talked about how during the Cruiserweight match, the crowd is zero interest in it. (laughs) This one, they're chanting and cheering like it's Rock Hogan in Toronto. I love this match. You can't argue that. I will say the end I did like because it was pretty creative storytelling. Maybe it was too in-depth, but it was like Big Bubba pulled out the athletic tape. Mm -hmm. Then he um, got the scissors to cut Tenta's hair. But then Tenta got the scissors to cut the tape 
And also, the silver dollars were so high up, he then needed the scissors to cut down the pole. <laughs> so it was almost like a video game, like Tomb Raider, where you're like, yeah. how do I get through this puzzle? Like, ah, the scissors from the bad guy will cut this and cut this. Yeah, it was, it was a bit much, but I, I like that extra bit of storytelling. Jimmy um, Hart on the pole too. That was just... Athletic feat by Jimmy Hart. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> impressive. It was impressive though. Um, I just want to ask you, how old do you think these guys were? Because this is that at whole... T- oh, yeah, this time. would be good. This... Because again, oh, yeah, even yeah. I'm guessing you thought they were old at the time too. Yeah, I would have thought they were at least, you know, late 40s. Both men are the same age. They were both 33. No, oh, well, I'll tell you what, they must have done some epic <laughs> partying and whatnot in the 80s because AJ Styles is 42 right now, <laughs> which Randy Orton is like on the wrong side of 40 and they, and they don't look a day over 30. Here's what's crazy. I turned 33 in a few weeks. Big Bubba looks like he could have been my dad right now. You know, oh like it's, John Tenser could be my grandpa and at the same age. Weird. Wow. Yeah, when that when you hear a whole bunch of today's superstars in WWE and AEW say the business has changed, we look after each other, we look after each, ourselves a lot much, like a lot better than we uh, they did back then. This is a prime example, considering the fact that they're both thirty year old men. I had no idea. <laughs> I honestly thought uh, that also makes it even more ridiculous that Bossman um, returned to the WWE and main evented Armageddon nineteen ninety nine three years later. Yeah, but. but- <laughs> But that's what the funny thing too, because I remember when eventually he jumps ship back to WWE, we all thought, oh, why are they taking this old guy back? He was only 35. <laughs> he wasn't even old. <laughs> oh, man, that, that, blow, that blows my mind. That yeah. is just crazy there. Um, yeah, as, as you said, John Tenter picks up the win. Um, crowd fully into it. Could not believe it. And also, uh, only in wrestling... See how he had one side of his hair cut by the big boss man? Only hmm. in wrestling would he keep the other side as like a sign of, you know, I'm you didn't take this side. You didn't of take me. all of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I, was up to, I was here to live to fight another day, but yeah, there you go. And then yeah, ne- next, next up we had uh, another mention of where is Eric Bischoff in another uh, interview there. And a macho man promo that is just absolutely legendary i loved every single bit of it because it really looked like sting and luger or just like they're trying to st- it looked like they were trying to like stay on there did sting actually talk I can't he did sting talked. he jumps in <laughs> at the end and he's all laid back giving a cool promo but then near the end of it macho man just starts cutting him off <laughs> it's great it was just one of the weirdest macho man promos but what isn't a uh, macho man weird promo again we're trying to find out where eric bischoff is come on man you've had two matches surely you're watching the paper you're the president of wcw mm. i mean he was yeah. still on the credits at the end of the show yeah yeah vice vice president <laughs> and producer eric bischoff he was somewhere oh you know when we talk about bash the beach 1996 and being such a monumental pay-per-view going back and looking at the first couple of matches it certainly didn't seem like it because from those from that incredible match to open us off with mysterio versus um psychosis it the scale just goes down a little bit more because you've got hacksaw jim duggan versus ddp in another stipulation match a taped fist match taped fist 
We saw tape used in the last match. I kept thinking, what's the big deal? Why does everyone love tape on this pay-per-view? Mm. And they talk about a taped fist. Why does taping your fist hurt more when you punch someone? Apparently, that thin layer of athletic tape is that's that's the extra layer. That's that that's the thing that that knocks over the apple cup. Like just pure flesh doesn't do it. But once you tape it, now that extra bit of roughness, dead. That's it. Mm. I'm learning a lot about tape. If it's wet, you can't break it, and if you wrap <laughs> it around your fist, just unbeatable. Did you find it uh, strange that DDP, who is a native of New Jersey, is having the the USA chant thrown in his face? Yeah, I kept thinking that. <laughs> I, I know, like, Hacksaw is the Patriot, but, like, DDP is pretty American too. Like, you mm. know. Oh, this was also something that I completely forgot happened. This is something that falls in the category of dream matches that I didn't quite knew happened and sounded like something that would happen in, like, a what-if universe mode on a WWE 2K game. Because Hacksaw, I didn't realise that Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and DDP crossed paths. I guess they did. I forget this run of Hacksaw in WCW. God damn, it's terrible. Like, he, he, I don't know his age. Maybe he was in his 40s at this point. But Hacksaw, even watching it back, I don't think I cared much for him in the 90s. You know, he was only tolerable, even in the classic WWF. It was like, oh, yeah, Hacksaw, I guess I like him, but he can't be anyone's favourite. He was always a worthy Royal Rumble competitor. When you yeah. see Hacksaw, you're like, yeah, I know him. Yeah, go Hacksaw. Oh, well or, done. Or him. if he was on Hulk Hogan's Survivor Series team, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. cool. Pick Hacksaw. He's all right. But I could see that. He's got the two by four with him. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but, um, this, yeah. This was terrible. And, yeah, another one that just big question mark there. And uh, DDP won. But uh, then got the absolute snot beaten out of him at the end. So with that, uh, we, should also, we should also point out too, that this is jobber DDP. Like he's got none of the pomp and circumstance and the flair and the, the sort of pizzazz that the DDP that we knew to grow and love the self high five DDP. This is just pure creator wrestler template 12 kind of DDP. Too many gimmicks. I think, you know, they make fun of him for this. He had the cigar, the curly hair, the tattoos, the gold chains, the ring, this, that. <laughs> he was just throwing it all. He would just yell things during the match as well, like, good God. And just, yeah, he was <laughs> fully gimmicked out. Um, I will say great line from Bobby Heenan. So obviously Hacksaw is famous for being cockeyed. Um, yep. While DDP was taping his feet together, he said, why shouldn't his feet be taped together? His eyes are taped together. I'm like, well, that's great. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, but it's insulting enough that you're like, yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, we went into another little backstage uh, segment after this. Uh, mean Gene with The Giant and Kevin Sullivan. And all I could say is Jimmy Hart and Mean Gene looked tiny. <laughs> they they look like children. Yeah, Kevin Sullivan looked tiny too. A, a pretty ho-hum sort of backstage promo. It's weird to sort of see the big show in in such an early, early sort of uh, time. And what's even weirder is he's the champion and almost zero attention is paid to that. Yeah, it wasn't about that. It was all about the hostile takeover. Giant wasn't really a big name yet either. He was just there and he ended up being a placeholder because we know what happens at the next mm. pay-per-view. Yeah. Before we get there, I will say something about this promo in the same way that why don't we think of Rey Mysterio as one of the greatest ever 
is Big Show underrated as a talker? This is 96. He's only a year into his career and it's more than competent. It's mm. better than 90% of people could do. And it feels like he just did it on the fly. It is very pro wrestler and, you know, that classic, oh, I'm the scary man, but it's great. Yeah. I have got a lot of respect for the Big Show, especially in his later years too, where he started using, um, like, we've all seen that, like, the classic matches that he's had in his career, but the ones, like, against Mark Henry, Brock Lesnar, those are the ones that everyone remember. But he also did some great stuff with, like, the mid-card. Like, remember there was that match against Cody Rhodes at TLC where Cody Rhodes did a... He's on the apron. Cody Rhodes does a drop kick and knocks Big Show off balance and Big Show puts his foot through the table and breaks it. Yes. And Big Show's facial expressions are just like, uh-oh. Oh, oh. Like, yeah. yeah, like, he... like he. Same with Daniel Bryan. He did the exact same thing too. He knows his role in the sense of, like, Rey Mysterio at the Royal Rumble where he's got him on the board and uh, on the on the when on the stretcher, sorry, and he smacks him into the ring post like a like a. Uh, he knows his role as a big man and how to play off others too, which is what makes it so good. Yeah, no, big big show was good. Even back here, you could see the, you can see why Vince McMahon thought he could throw a bunch of money at him and make him a huge star in a few years. You know, did it happen like they planned? Maybe not, but man, the guy's good. You can't doubt it. Plus the same, the fact that they're still getting mileage out of him almost, you know, almost more than more than a decade later. I think that uh, Vince is still smiling on that one. Yeah. Uh, we then crossed to another promo. This one was on the stage. Uh, well, in the entranceway, Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. I'll tell you, uh, this is probably the first time we had a direct threat towards the Outsiders. Uh, and this is where it sort of tied back to the, oh, yeah, this is the hostile takeover that's coming, uh, that's happening at the moment. Because at, at that point in time, it's almost a forgotten thing. Like, yeah, we'll get to the, we'll get to the takeover part, but enjoy the wrestling for a sec. Like, this really made you... Arn Anderson, I, I forget too, he's, he's, the, he's the master of these little one percenters because he makes the story bigger than it is mm. and makes it feel bigger than it is. And by doing that, makes it bigger. I've always remember there was that time when Kane, Tombstone, Linda McMahon, and Arn was one of the agents that came out. And you could hear him on camera going, what happened? And just like, oh, she gave him a tombstone. And he's like, a tombstone? Like, like there's those little features that make it, make him, uh, like, he just adds that bit of extra thing to all, all storylines. But in contrast to that, Chris Benoit, stiff as a board. Oh, we couldn't go to bigger extremes from, yeah, like like I said, good promo from Big Show and Sullivan, great from Arn, and then it's like, all right, Chris, what do you got? And just terrible. Like, again, watching it back, I know we were all blinded by our favourites and we started to get swayed by, like, being smart wrestling fans. But, mm. man, if you were Vince McMahon in 1998 and you, ha- you were looking at who to steal from WCW, you are not stealing Chris Benoit you are absolutely stealing the big show because <laughs> yes. Benoit, as great as he was in the ring as an athlete, you see him in this promo. He looks scared. He looks uneasy. He feels like he's struggling through every, every line as well. He's like, oh, I better say it right because I'm going to stumble. Like, yeah, it's not good. But the best way that I can describe Benoit's promo and his mannerisms throughout that is it's the equivalent of when you're out with a friend 
and they bump into someone that you don't know, but they know very well, and you're just standing there while they're having a conversation. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it looked like. Aren't you mean Gene? Or, no, aren't you the, the interviewer? And Benoit didn't know him. It was very awkward. Exactly. Uh, After that one, this was one that uh, you and I, we talked about a little bit uh, off air, but it was a four-man dog collar match. Uh, I don't know how that differs from a tag team dog collar match, but it was Public Enemy versus Nasty Boys. Hmm. So if anyone is expecting a high work rate match, uh, I'd tell you to look elsewhere. Uh, (laughs) This this really took me out of the pavio a lot because half of the... More than half the match is like split screen multiplayer on Nintendo 64. Like, so tiny. Interesting that WCW wouldn't do in match replays, but they'll do a split screen like this for a whole match almost. That, yeah, that was re- a strange production choice. There was a line that I've got written down, I think, and I can't, I didn't attribute who said it, but it just says, powerful muscles ground your neck. Whoa, I don't, don't know what that one's about there, but oh, like know. he's he's got a low center of gravity because he's got yeah. powerful neck muscles. Wow, yeah, yeah, scientific. But um, yeah, the split screen thing. But here's one thing that I noticed greatly, and I've underlined it: the amount of unprotected shots of the head. Oh, jeez! And most like... of them cr- came from Brian Nobbs. He yeah, was paired yeah. off with the blonde guy. I forget his name, but he beat the hell out of him. I kept thinking, why is he hitting him so hard? This was legitimately the world's most violent fight that I've seen in 1996. And you could see why um, Vince probably sent uh, the Acolytes, the, the APA, out to straighten out uh, Public Enemy here when they got to the WWF. But... Um, this was just crazy. The, the table spots, especially the table that didn't break. It's the world's toughest table. Yeah, Flyboy fly Rocco Rock just went through it and bounced back up. Like, yeah, it didn't break at all. It was fun when they were brawling up on the beach set, though. We, we forgot to discuss the set earlier, but the beach set is great. It's a lot of fun. They were jumping off the lifeguard post and whatever. It was good. Using the shark and the surfboard. Oh, man. They love the inflatable shark, the commentators. <laughs> He's beating a man with a rubber shark. They were all just having fun saying it. And then when they finally got to the surfboard, then mocking the use of the shark. Like, well, that'll hurt a lot more than a shark will. <laughs> I, but, that's, that's one thing I like about watching these WCW shows back. Their commentary was way more laid back. Like you watch it back as an adult without the WWE tricking you that Tony Schiavone sucked or whatever. Man, hmm. Schiavone and Heenan, have so much fun on these shows. And then with Dusty as well, just rambling on, it's great. This is an epitome though, of um, how the weird styles that you get in in WCW, because I think you said it to me uh, in our our, um, chat. It's it's like an ECW brawl. Yeah, just in the middle of this weird pay-per-view. Yeah, because you had this high-flying luchador classic at the start, some old school, you know, hard man wrestling, just um, power. When I say, you know, uh, the old school style of muscle guy A versus muscle guy B stipulation match. And then you just had a riotous brawl from the state. Like there was very little time spent in the ring. Yeah, it only went in the ring right at the end to end. Look, it didn't look pretty, but it was kind of fun. It, to be fair, this was better than the last two matches. Like, mm. if I'm recommending matches, I'd say put this on because it's a freak show. Yeah, 
it's it's the it's the hardcore like and it's it's the it's the one that you don't take too seriously you can have a you can you can sort of tune out a little bit and just watch the uh the 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 car wreck sort of in a way and um just one more thing dusty tried branding the split screen as well on commentary he kept calling it the double trouble bash at the beach bubble (laughs) that's right yeah oh just absolute silliness there. Uh, then we cross to another mean. Ge- mean Gene is earning his money tonight. That's all He's I can in say. So many segments. <laughs> He's uh, backstage with the security team, and it's all about history in the making tonight. And once again, Eric Bischoff is not well. We don't know where he is. And we, we're almost halfway into the pet for Eric. Where are you? Give us a call. Mean well, Gene, though, in these segments, I just want to say, Mean Gene is the best interviewer best announcer guy, like best non-commentator personality ever. He cares so much about what's happening. He explains everything per- perfectly and he acts like a real person. He's not just a guy who wanders in with a microphone to do an interview. He is Mean Gene. He lives yep. in this world and he's really trying to figure these things out for you. And he's like, all right, folks, you know, oh, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. Like he is his own part of why this world makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and that and you're right. It does. He, if you, you couldn't put someone else in that role, uh, because we saw what happened with Arn doing the interview on the stage without Mangine, and you, there's a lot of heavy lifting to do on the wrestling side. But um, next up, we got to a cruiserweight match: Disco Inferno, uh, who gets a fancy little nameplate pop up, uh, which is also something we need to mention in terms of production values. It just looked so cheap with the CGI shark come up but now he got a fancy little nameplate and a disco ball on his entrance yep and i'll tell you what dean malenko no bs just get straight into it and i've got written down here watching dean malenko manhandle disco become secondary to the commentary team talking about eric bischoff missing (laughs) (laughs) i blanked out on the commentary on this one i will say my um yeah, my focus was shifting a little bit. I liked the match. I didn't think it was that bad. Disco, we all loved him as a kid, but then everyone mm. hated him because everyone tried acting cool, like, oh, Disco, he sucked. But no, he was yeah. fine. He was a good wrestler if you're rating it on what he does in the ring. I actually have written down, he's put on a decent showing uh, because, like, yes, he was a punching bag for Malenko most of the time, but he did his job right. Like, he was impressive in that and he would actually put on a decent showing towards the latter stage of the match he wasn't gonna win he was never gonna win but um i love when they even say to him like like he's so experienced like no no showboating here disco go and pin him pin him now what are you doing yeah 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 they kept saying like yeah don't waste your time and yeah it it was good i I will say though how is disco a cruiserweight yeah huge he was massive he's yeah, he's definitely. Uh, it's the same. It's, it was almost like when Matt Hardy won the WWE Cruiserweight title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, and I and I still think if someone right now in 2020 was the Disco Inferno and did this gimmick, they would be so over with the ironic millennial Gen mm. Z crowd. Like we would love it if a guy came out on an indie show in Australia and started disco dancing. We would think. This is the best thing ever, and we'd all be yep. into it. You know, like yeah, it's yeah. Good. if he comes out with the Nutbush playing or something like that, and he's you know doing the Macarena on stage, it's like you'd be thinking, yeah, I like this. I really do like this. Yeah. Uh, we let's look at the next match, and uh, it, it, 
Oh, okay, this sounds like something. Do you remember the game um, Total Extreme Warfare back in the day? It was like a it was like a football manager's. T- it was like a management type game for uh, wrestling, but because it didn't have any licenses, it would just throw random names together, like you know, like Joe Bloggs versus Billy Billy Smith or something like that. Yeah. The next match sounds like it was it should be in one of those games because it was Joe Gomez, the Desperado. Versus Steve McMichael. Mm. And uh, the commentary team are doing their absolute best to sell this as this is a match that should be on pay-per-view. Yeah. I Here's my opening notes. And I typed this out when Joe Gomez was coming to the ring. I said, WTF is Gomez. Don't yep. remember him at all. Great <laughs> hair, though. Yes. Awesome ponytail. Couldn't remember him. Tried Googling him. Barely found anything. I don't think he exists anymore. Absolutely nothing there. And this is just, this isn't, he's an enhancement talent on Raw. That's all he was, because this match was just there. Like, and you could tell the memo had been sent to the commentary team pump up Mongo. Yeah, they thought he was going to be huge, didn't they? They must have thought this guy, ex NFL, we let him do commentary for a year for some goddamn reason, and now we're going to let him (laughs) wrestle. I don't know what I hate him more as, a wrestler or a commentator. I think a wrestler, because it's over in 10 minutes. Man, Mm. (laughs) thank God we're starting when he's done with commentary, because I watched all those Nitros back, and they are unbearable. Listening to this guy talk for two hours, my God. The only thing good about uh, Mongo on the WCW Nitro thing is it led to uh, Steve Austin's Monday NyQuil sketches (laughs) on... um, on ECW with Bongo. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a great line. That's uh, one it. thing that I, one thing oh. I did find interesting was um, Mongo actually finished him off with a tombstone. Yeah, he would use the tombstone. I forgot that. And then I saw it back. And I'm like, damn, that's right. Just your most legendary character on one show, The Undertaker does it in the mm. WWF. And then the worst guy on that show does it, you know? The strange thing too was the fact that uh, that hearing Tony Schiavone say "Tombstone Pile Driver" really makes me wish that he got a chance to commentate an Undertaker match. Yeah, I don't think he, I think he was done with WWE before Taker debuted. Yeah, yeah, uh, weird. Yeah, anyway, was, but, um, uh, we move on to uh, Mean Gene's interview with Ric Flair, and it is absolutely amazing how very little Flair's promo style has changed. It's very amazing how little his promo made sense either. But that's the beauty of a Ric Flair promo. Just ramble on, talk crap. I loved it. This was also strange too because Mean Gene uh, starts all of a sudden, you know, woman and Elizabeth with their womanly ways are going and distracting Mean Gene. Yeah, woman (laughs) is full on rubbing Mean Gene, but he's such a great performer that him too is like, oh, stop that. (laughs) I have a job to do, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, he's a real journalist. It's great. Um, But uh, it was good. Again, though, but on, on the flip side, as great as woman was as a performer, Miss Elizabeth, like, amazing like she meant so much to wwe especially and wrestling she was a a great character but in terms of being a performer she always looked uncomfortable this is 96 Mm. this is 10 years or like maybe around 10 years into her career being on tv always looks uncomfortable yeah really did really did look uh just she was the it was essentially like why was she there too? And it was just odd. You could see why, because in the match, when they get to it next, 
uh, she does play a big part. But yeah, it's very. I, that was a part of the um, the canon of WCW that I forget where Flair had uh, that stable of ladies as part mm. of the Horsemen. But um, yeah, it was it was strange, and that leads us to our US title match. I reckon a hidden sleeper match here because we talked at the start how Psychosis versus Mysterio was good. I probably reckon this match was better. Wow, that's interesting because it's funny how you watch things differently. But I think because of the previous couple of matches, I Mm. was gone for this one. You were done. I wrote... I wrote maybe one of the worst flare matches I've ever seen. Really? That's I don't know why. I couldn't get into it at all. I said, but damn, fact- Conan wasn't very good. But the, it, but there's things like Conan doing the surfboard, turning into a bow and arrow. Uh, he's dressed in that wig in the... He's got a triple-A jacket as he enters. Uh, there's so much thing. And I think I was just blown away because I forgot that Conan could actually wrestle. Like, I'm so used to... NWO gangster Conan sort of yeah. doing his shtick. And in in the latter days of, uh, you know, like LAX TNA Conan doing his stuff, that seeing him actually do wrestling moves and... Well, yeah, guess, compared to yeah. LAX Conan, this is five stars. <laughs> I see why, if that's what you had in your head. That's, <laughs> now I get you. <laughs> but, um, but the other one that was great too was Dusty Rhodes' complete disdain woman cheating on behalf of Rick Flair like she's a devilish woman how <laughs> yeah. dare she <laughs> just like it, it's like it's the it's almost the worst thing in the world like how dare she she used her here the, the ref distracted by like I love it it was the double distraction because Liz distracted the ref and then woman got up on the apron with the shoe but it was like the longest setup ever I, I forget oh. if it was Liz or woman but they had no, the shoe woman, for yeah. like two minutes, just waiting for Conan to wander over there. It was just literally so long. And the other thing that was also amusing to me was Conan, because this we we completely glossed over the fact that in the middle of the match, Conan takes the old uh, Rochambeau, uh, <laughs> and he's writhing in pain, clutching his crotch for a good portion of the match. <laughs> Yeah. And I love that things like that would happen and the ref didn't understand why. He'd be like, yeah. oh, well, I'll just throw his oh, hands sorry, up. What's going on? Well, that's the, that's the other thing too. Like, it's Nick Patrick that's wrestling too. And he's the worst ref in WCW history because there's so much blatant cheating going on in front of him. And he's just like, oh, Conan, what's wrong? Well, we would learn why later on in a couple of years because Nick Patrick was evil all along. I love that he was always a bad guy. He looked yeah, bad, the, though. <laughs> the crooked ref. Uh, but yeah. um, uh, The next part is one of the final pre-tapes uh, of me and Gene um, backstage. And this is the line that got me. It's like, it's like mm, I'm outside the locker room and there's a voice that we know, but I just can't quite put my finger on it. I was yelling at the TV. Again, in hindsight, we know, and we're like, you idiot! He's like, his voice is muffled. I don't think I can pick it. <laughs> don't it's know rattling in my brain, but I can't get it out. He yelled at you for 10 years. You know <laughs> whose voice it was. That's exactly, maybe that's why Hulk Hogan had to continually reintroduce himself. You know something, Mean Gene? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. And Gene's like, who are you? Who are you? I don't know. That's what I've never heard this voice before. 
Oh, but but also the level of um in which Mean Gene is perplexed, like the way he looks at the camera, like you know, like I don't quite know. It's almost Scooby Doo like. Yeah, but that but again, that's the strength of Mean Gene. He wasn't just <laughs> saying, "Well, I'll try and get answers." You know, he tried really getting into the character of Mean Gene oh. journalist. And I love how they, they were talking to him through his uh, earpiece and they were like, bribe the refs, uh, the yeah. security, you know, try and give the security money and they'll let you in. And he's like, and- I don't want any part of your scheme, Bobby. It was so funny. Yeah, the absolute outrage of Bobby Heenan. Like, how dare you? How- yeah. Good day, sir. I'm done with you here. But, yeah, yeah. Um- he's a man of integrity. It's great. Uh, this was another weird one. Uh, the the pre main event, which is odd to me, but the Horseman versus the Giant and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, one weird thing that I just couldn't—it kept distracting me throughout the entire match. Kevin Sullivan wearing trunks with no knee pads. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I don't know. He just looks like it's, a guy wearing underwear. It's, yes, it's just so strange. It's I, I just I just couldn't quite get uh, it. It was an. It was. This was the the a complete non-event. If if I didn't write it down, I would have forgot that happened. Yeah, Ke- and Kevin Sullivan's a weird one because for me, you know, when we all became WCW fans, we were all WWF fans first in Australia. When I started mm-hmm. watching WCW, anytime Sullivan was on TV, I didn't get it at all. I just thought right. this guy was just some old loser. Like I don't I get didn't it. Get it this time around. Yeah, watching it back, he doesn't do anything at the time. Like, it's a shame a month before, if we were reviewing Great American Bash, he has that great brawl with Chris Benoit. But aside Mm. from that, even watching it all back, he contributes to nothing on screen. I know he's a big part of creative backstage, but as a character, I don't care for the Taskmaster. And also, how, how is that a nickname? I still don't get what Taskmaster is. Like, that's not as threatening as they thought it was, you know? No. No, absolute zero there. Uh, again, the distraction at the start of um, the Giants not being there is just an excuse to watch the Taskmaster get beaten up for about 50 minutes. It, just, it was just an odd match to put on before uh, yeah. the second last one. But uh, you want to talk about video packages, then we get a rather lengthy video package about the main event before uh, Michael Buffer goes and introduces it. Did you find it as funny as I did, the amount of those, like, newspaper clippings that they're just like, who is the third man <laughs> yeah. and, and WCW, where, no longer where the big boys play. And it's just like, first off, why, why even bother with that? Well, you know, to make it sound like this is what the world is talking about. It, look, honestly, for the, the low bar they set at the start of the show, this was a better video package yes. than the one yeah, at the start. Better. But still, compared to the WWE, even at the time, they were can't miss the show opening promos and then the main event promos in the WWF, like that scary voiceover, the great music choices, you know, the, the editing. These couldn't touch it. Even this one, even though it was longer, still couldn't touch what we saw on King of the Ring. Yeah, correct. It just and even though it was the, the greatest storyline of all time, you know, this is... This is the video package for the NWO, and it's not better than the video package for Ahmed Johnson and Goldust. Yes. You know, like, <laughs> crazy. That sums it up right there. And it, it just goes to show you the strength of um, the, WW, the WWF's video packages. And because everyone always, even though a lot of people can be critical of the product, everyone universally praises the WWE 
slash WWF production values. And we can see that that's been something that's been there from day dot. Interesting fact, you know, I have to shoehorn a TNA mentioning anytime <laughs> we do a podcast, but um, when TNA sort of exploded a little bit, you know, peak TNA is still 2005 to 2007. Mm. Once Christian jumped ship and they started getting more people in, once they moved away from uh, the weekly pay-per-views, but the fir- one of the first things that they did, and you can really tell it made a huge jump, is hire, I think his name is David Shahidi. He's the guy that was one of the main guys that did the videos for the WWE. And TNA, TNA's video packages, ever, ever since they got him on board, improved dramatically. But um, yeah, video packages make all the, all the difference there. And it really stands out how bad this one is for your marquee. Biggest match of all time. Yeah. A night like no other. And yeah, not good. Also, we'll obviously do a TNA pay-per-view eventually. That'll be a theory. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that'll be great. We'll cover that. We'll relive that more. <laughs> In 20 years, we'll look back. Yeah. It was good to see. <laughs> hey, TNA 2005 was great stuff. Mm, mm. Um, this um, main event, kicking off with Michael Buffer. I was never a fan as a kid because, again, I was still pretty pro-WWE for the most part. But I always I didn't like Michael Buffer because, whereas um, Howard Finkel was obviously an expert in WWE, he sounded like he loved it. He made every match huge. Even though vocally Michael Buffer is amazing, he's reading off cue cards, which even as a kid I thought, come on, man, you don't remember their names. And this was a great example. He's reading off the cue cards. It's like he never knew any of this before. He's like, (laughs) these two men attempted a hostile takeover. And he was just like (laughs) shocked at everything. (laughs) They'll be wrestling in a handicap match. It was like, mate, read it before. Yeah, it was weird. It's so strange. Uh, The the seal crazy ripoff uh, (laughs) thing blares through the, the speakers as the outsiders make their entrance. In, I don't care what anyone says. That is full WWF entrance there in terms of Scott Hall is trying to be Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash is Diesel. And that's what they want you to think. Um, what, Before what the also, lawsuit. Yeah. Before yeah, they correct. fully dropped any, uh, yeah, any mannerisms and any... Like, Hall, he gets in the ring and gets the mic and he's still doing the accent. It was before he dropped chico, it. He throws it at Chico as well. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I love the fact too that they make such a big deal. The commentators about we know who the third man is. Well, get someone else out there. Da 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 da. Like they're just all. And another thing too, I love it. Well, the third man's in the building. He could already be in the. He could be in the crowd. It's like yeah, we're not, he's not going to be in the crowd, mate. Michael Buffer uh, could have been the third man. <laughs> third man. I mean, he did act shocked. <laughs> yeah, he was trying to throw him off. But um. I'll tell you, the match holds up because this is, uh, unlike the rest of the Bash of the Beach card, this is actually something that I've seen a couple of times. But mm. um, full disclosure, I did watch it on the network. Uh, so I don't know if there have been... There's an addition, there's an edit later that I'll bring up when we get to okay. it. But um, the match still stands up. Like, it tells a great story. And it's back and forth, too. The outsiders don't dominate. It's actually very WCW heavy in the term, in the sense that when it comes to clean wrestling, WCW is doing their absolute best. And you were talking at the start about Eric Bischoff pl- uh, being the third man and then planting the seeds. There's a lot of dis- like dissent about Sting in this match too. Like mm-hmm. when Sting takes out Lex Luger, 
Tony Schiavone doesn't sound like he thinks it's an accident, does he? No, no which, which was such a great seed planted. So watching it back, that's something you pick up on. I, I haven't never noticed that watching it previously this match. But Sting takes out Luger. And then based on, you know, classic wrestling tropes, you would have thought, oh, Luger will get carted away. He'll come back out. But he's the third man. It was like, nah, he's nah. just taken out. It was great. And, and then it made the match even because otherwise the bad guys would have been the underdog with the two-on-three yep. disadvantage. So that mm. evened it up and it wasn't a trick, but I think a lot of fans at the time would have been thinking, all right, where's Luger? He's going to come back and screw WCW. That was a good way to throw, throw you off watching it. So I know too, Hall and Nash, you forget they're actually very good wrestlers too. Like they put on a lot of moves there. They are, I, st- I still think the MVP of the actual match portion is Randy Savage. Mm. Yeah, like Randy crazy. Savage, Randy Savage is just peak Savage there. It's not quite Flair Steamboat. Uh, sorry, it's not quite Savage Steamboat level of, uh, but he, you can, t- he's actually makes you feel like he's, He's been a WCW lifer. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because if anyone was also going to be, you know, an outsider, which he eventually became part of the NWO pretty soon or, you know, down the line, Savage had more ties <laughs> to WWE than anyone. So, but yeah, he really flew the flag. He was the captain of the team, basically. Hmm. Sting, um, look, I don't want to say he's a bit player, but uh, he's he doesn't really do much as well. Like there's a few stinger splashes, but he's really a, he's a participant, but uh, that's about it really. Watching this as a kid, like before Crow Sting, like even Crow Sting, I wasn't into it until later on because, you know, being a, an NWO mm. kid or whatever, but watching Sting pre-Crow, he really didn't seem like a big deal. You couldn't have told me he no. was their main guy for 10 years. And the other thing, he was billed as the main guy. They come out to his music. They yep. come out to a man called Sting. So Great they song, were in his I'd face paint. So that clearly, too. yeah, that, that's, that is quite. It, I think that it does give you those nostalgic. Does give you those nostalgic feels, as does Buff Bagwell's theme. You remember uh, the Buff Daddy one? Buff Daddy, yeah, that's one of the best two. They're <laughs> similar, but they're both good. They're they're both good. But um, <laughs> so, but yeah, considering the fact that they're wearing Sting's face paint. Stings, they come out to Sting's theme. Sting is very little, except for take out Lex Luger. Yeah. And it, yeah, he's not really involved in the finish. Uh, he gets beat down at one point, and then it ends with Savage in the ring. And then it just sort of ends. Um, the way well, it doesn't. Oh, you go for it. Well, it's funny you mention that because, yeah, it does just kind of end when the outsiders start acting very dastardly and Kevin and Kevin Nash goes and does the low blow on Savage. Mm. That's where it sort of goes, right? Match over. Now we get into angle, angle yeah. sort of time. Yeah. And to me, this match has always felt long. Anytime I watch it, I think it goes a bit long, but it is very good still. Like it's a great main event style match. and still one of the best things on the show. Um, but once Hogan comes out, the line from, Bobby Heenan, I know people are torn on it. A lot of people say, no, he sort of gave it away. I don't think he did. He was staying Mm -hmm. true to his character. Bobby Mm -hmm. Heenan has hated Hulk Hogan for over 10 years and had a vendetta against him and, you know, brought all these guys to try and beat him. Why wouldn't he think Hogan is a bad guy? Yeah. I stand by it. I don't think he spoiled anything. Because even as a kid, 
or even watching it knowing who Bobby Heenan is, you think, oh, he's just being a dick. He's being Bobby Heenan. I don't think he was spoiling it. Because immediately, um, Dusty Rhodes cuts him off and says, what are you talking about, brain? Like, da-da-da. Yeah. And and Tony Schiavone is just in full-on, yep, the cavalry's arrived. We're saved. We're saved. Oh-oh-oh. And and the weird thing, too, is when Hogan gets into the ring, there's some terrific... Everyone plays their role so well because Hall and Nash actually sort of backing off like, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, no, we're, we're in trouble here. But then Hulk Hogan sort of soaking up the last of those cheers before he drops the leg drop. And then when he does, once he does that leg drop, he just pops up. Like it's almost as if all that pent up frustration of being booed by WCW crowds for the past two years has finally just snapped. And he's like, you know what? Now it's time to dish it out again. Yeah. I think he loved it. Cause yeah, you can tell like once he does the leg drop and he's like, all right, I've got, you know, permission to be a bad guy. He is having so much fun. And it's kind of interesting. The match technically doesn't end because mm. Hall makes the count and then they just wrap it up. You know, there's yep. not even a call of like, this match is a DQ. There's no bell ringing. Just ends. No bell ringing. It just ends. The commentators are losing their minds. The crowd, the amount of garbage that is thrown in the ring, it's a staple of Nitro. Yeah, this is, again... <laughs> Kicked off the NWO and it also kicked off the trend of the garbage at the end of a show. Um, Funny line from Tony Schiavone. I feel like he wrote this one and he wanted to deliver it. He thought it was going to be clever. He said, I never thought I'd say he's yellow. He may be wearing red, but he's wearing red and yellow. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what do you want? I guess, but yeah. We talk about how we talk about Mean Gene being a consummate professional there too. That's something else that plays into it here. Uh, But one thing that distracted me a little bit that I've only noticed now is Hulk Hogan constantly moving Gene's (laughs) Gene's arm to talk. Keeps grabbing his wrist to lift up the mic. Yeah, just like just come on, man. I can't keep leaning forward. But um, something that that now I'm wondering because this is the first time I've ever noticed this. I'm wondering if this app this is a WWE network edit, but hmm. when the Hulk's doing his little speech, it cuts into a close-up camera shot of his. Like, that's a new edit, isn't it? I didn't notice that being different or weird. No, I think, that's, I think that's a different, because in all the times that I've watched it on VHS or, well, uh, and I tried to go back on YouTube and find it, but there's there's a lot of official WWE cuts where it doesn't actually show that. And I actually think, that they replaced that. And I actually looked it up. Uh, it's actually the 1996 home video cut because mm. they did that because that's the time where someone runs into the ring. Oh, okay. And, and cut do, that you, out. do you remember the run in where the guy in the white shirt runs in and Nash disposes of him? It's that's what it really stands out in the WWF in the WWE network because it just goes to a shot of Hogan and the microphone. And it's obviously like a different camera angle, but I can never remember it, but it turns out it's there to get rid of the, um, the fan running. I'm watching it here. Yeah, you're right. I totally forgot. That's not something we see now because it's, um, being rewritten. Rewritten. Yeah. The history. Wow. Okay, wow. That's and it's, wh- only, 
Yeah. And it's only because I've had that, I've watched that, that match so many times before that I'm like, Oh, I don't remember that shot. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it, it all, you, you almost wish they just let the fan run in because um, there's been a lot of edits to that speech and the fact that uh, Hulk Hogan, it, they always use the New World Order bit. They never use the New World Organization. Part Which is he funny. Says, he says it two times. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, the part that I really enjoyed about the entire speech is, like you said, it's Hulk having so much fun mm-hmm. because he, you know when you listen to him, he 100 150% believes I built that organization up north. I did that. And the line that stands out, and I love it to bits, is my favorite Hulk Hogan line. Oh, bored, brother. Yeah. He sounds like he's loving it, like he's got a weight off his shoulders, and he sounds angry for real. Like when he says, you know, I came to WCW, I did all the appearances, and, you know, what did I get? You booed me. And then he's mm. like, you know, I was promised movies and TV. Yeah. And he's, it sounds real. It's a great promo. And Hall and Nash in the background just doing Hogan poses and swatting away garbage and cups. It's so good. It's iconic. Hell of a promo. Uh, Tony Schiavone sounds so crestfallen here too. It's like he really, it's just like we've been betrayed. Mm. Maybe this was the plan all along. Maybe this is why, like, you know. Yeah, he, he then says, he goes, he's been planning it since 94. This was his yeah. plan. Like, it's yeah. very good. And, okay, if we're going, um, iconic promo to iconic promo, having watched them, Austin 316 versus Hogan's NWO promo. Obviously, Hogan got more time, but promo to promo, which one stood out? It's, I don't think it's an argument there. Hands down, it has to be the NWO one. Purely because um, Austin 316, yes, is groundbreaking, but you didn't know it till later. Mm. You you weren't watching um, Bash of the Beach 1996 and not knowing at the time that you're just wish, you're witnessing something big. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Austin 316 took time to make an impact, I guess, in hindsight. Whereas the NWO, the second it started, it was on. Yeah, it's an yeah. instant reaction, and it's the main event of a pay per view. Like, that's yeah. the last thing you see. So, um, I'm not having a go saying, like, Austin, like, don't take it as me going saying, oh, it was a, it's just, this is streets ahead. Because in terms of, because uh, there's a lot of emotion in Austin as well. You, you can feel that that's really real. Uh, but just the fact that this is a lot more then and now and on the spot. But um, speaking of that, the, the pay-per-view then just abruptly ends and rolled credits. Yeah, they just walk off um, <laughs> with the immortal Tony Schiavone line, though. He recovers from that last terrible one. He says, Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. You can go to hell. We're yes. out of here. And then he's like, straight to hell. He just does one more. And <laughs> you can actually hear them putting down their headsets, which was a nice touch. He's like, straight to mm. hell. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Yeah. So looking back at Bash of the Beach 1996, uh, for like, what, what 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 did you think? How did you think that did it stand out in 2020 mindset compared to 1996 mindset? I'm going to be honest. A lot of these WCW pay-per-views, I remember watching them, you know, at the time or, you know, a couple of years later as they happened through 97 and 98 and was never really impressed. Like the mm. video store where I grew up didn't really carry WCW pay-per-views often, maybe every second pay-per-view or, 
you know, sometimes an uncle of mine would order a pay-per-view here or there for WCW. But I was never pushing for it because I never thought they were that good. I think WWF was always consistent with pay-per-views. So they always tried the production, you know. You you had a great main event at the time, always, with Shawn Michaels, whereas WCW was hit or miss. You never knew what you were going to get. And this was an example of it. I'd say if we're going show to show, complete show, King of the Ring 96 is a better full show. But the Bash at the Beach main event is iconic and it feels important. Even at the time, even watching it back, the turn, it feels bigger. You can't argue that. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Monumentally, both uh, left their mark. Critically, if you put them side by side, you're right. It's King of the Ring hands down because no one's comp- like there was more. There was more filling to the to the uh, WWF show than there was to here because this is incredibly forgettable. Okay, take away Austin three sixteen from King of the Ring. Take away that moment, hmm. and and take away the the main event from Bash the Beach, and just put those cards together in terms of a pay per view. This is going to be a forgotten. This is a for- this. You wouldn't even give Bash the Beach 1996 a second thought. No, King of the Rings still has Taker and Mankind, uh, which carries uh, Bulldog, it. Bulldog, Bulldog and Sean. Uh, Goldust Ahmed. Goldust Ahmed was huge at the time, pays off with a title change. And then again, mm. we noticed that watching back might not have been that great, you know, with history being rewritten. But Warrior and Jerry Lawler for a squash match, man, mm. the crowd goes the crowd is louder for that than anything on, on this show, aside from the main event. This this was a, a sort of a trope that WCW fell into, I find, and I think, and I'm, I'm putting it out there. I think we're going to find this more as we delve into more WCW views. But um, they're all very nothingish. They're all very nothing, but they always have something that leaves you talking at the end. Yeah. Keyword at the end. A WCW paper you don't have to watch from start to finish. Coming in the last half an hour and. That's going to be the gist of the pay-per-view. Yeah. You might you might skip a... Uh, unless, of course, it's Halloween Havoc 1998. Then then it's probably a very good time to... Actually, you didn't even need the last half hour because they didn't have the last half hour. It was cut off. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it leaves you happy uh, and it leaves you with something to talk about with your friends. But that's about it. Yeah. You can't... At the end of this... Everyone will just be going, oh, yeah, what about that? How about that? That's all you'll be talking about, but you're not going to go, and dude, how good was Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Yeah, no one is remembering that by the end of it. If we're comparing endings, though, and I, I guess that's what both companies were pushing at the time, even though that match-ending brawl is fun at King of the Ring, they were left in the dust by Bash at the Beach because it ended with Hulk yep. Hogan turning. So Very, very much so. So in terms of, yeah, historical importance, that single uh, Bash at the Beach segment is the one that we're going to be talking about. For June 96, WCW wins the war. Yep, yep. You know, Austin 316, like we've said, the impact of that is felt later, but June 96, it's WCW, even looking back because of that. This is all WCW because I was actually very keen and if it wasn't the fact that it was late when I was watching this, re-watching this pay-per-view, I was so tempted to actually try and watch Nitro um, <laughs> get to flick to the network. But I thought, no, no, better not do that. But yep, we'll chalk this one up to a WCW win. And looking at the calendar, our next episode will, of course, be a WWF edition. And it is In Your House 9 in 
international incident. That took place July 21st, 1996 in Vancouver, British Columbia. That's right. It really is an international incident. <laughs> really stretching international there, you know. <laughs> we know it's a different country, but barely. Um, so I will... I will say though, who do you think the the like best performer on this show was? Who's the MVP? Uh, look, this is going to sound so stupid because it's not even a wrestler. Mean Gene. Mean Gene. I thought that mean, too. Like I said, he carries the pay per view. He strings that entire pay per view along. Yeah, he's the main from character. Start to finish, he's there taking to that entire journey, and that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a great line right at the end too when like I think Hogan or Hall or Nash grabs him and he's like, hey, I've got a fleet of lawyers. Like, That's right. That character <laughs> of Man Gene. Yeah, it's just so established. Don't mess mm. with him. He's going to get to the bottom of this and he's outraged at everything. He kills it. Yeah, so that was Bash the Beach 1996. Hey, let us know what you think. Tweet us, Facebook us, uh, Wide World of Wrestling on Facebook pod underscore podcast on Twitter. Let us know. Or you can even get in touch with myself at Doc Nims on Twitter. Simon at Simon Tackler on Twitter. It was a hell of a pay-per-view. I'd, I wouldn't recommend watching it again. <laughs> but um, I'd like King of the Ring. This, that's another thing too. We were telling we were telling everyone, give King of the Ring 96 a watch because it's a underrated. Put on King of the Ring. Fun watch as a whole show. If you're putting on Bash at the Beach... Maybe just put on the main event, honestly. Skip to the end. Just fast forward to the end. Watch the last match. No, watch the start. Uh, watch the Mysterio Psychosis match. Then just fast forward to the main event. Yeah, that's it. The best of WCW. Everything else, man, skip it. Anyway, this was fun, though. Mm, very much so. But yes, at July 21st, we're going to be having a look at In Your House 9 international incident that's going to be a lot of fun so make sure you you check us out there we're on the ozcast network uh check that out we love their support here ozcastnetwork.com and we're also part of the gray wolf wrestling network as well graywolfentertainment.net you can follow them there check out our full archives there simon it's been so much fun uh reliving these these papers for this month and considering the fact that we're going to be in lockdown for a considerable amount of time. Uh, we do something to do. Yeah, this is the perfect show for lockdown because you listen to the podcast. You watch this has been another presentation from the Green Wolf Entertainment Network. Like we said, International Incident is up next. I haven't seen this show since 96. Uh, someone bought the videotape from my video store oh, get a it. couple of years later and I never got to rewatch it. <laughs> so I'm excited to fire it up on the network. So watch that along before we do the show, and then, you know, you can hear our thoughts about it. It's going to be good. July 21st. Put that in your calendars. That's when we're going to be watching it, and very near that is where you can find us on the Ozcast Network and the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network too. But uh, I've been Nims Azor. Simon, it's been a lot of fun. Let's do it again on the 21st. Let's do it. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.